And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to, to turn with me there to Genesis again, Genesis chapter uh, 13. We're going to be uh, looking at the entire chapter of Genesis, but Genesis chapter 13, verses uh, 1 through 18 this morning. And sometimes when we, uh, walk, we, when we uh, sin or, or disobey God, sometimes we have thoughts like this. You know, does God really love me? Does God's promises, are they still true? Sometimes we even uh, doubt ourselves and, and say, no, there, there's no way that this great gift of salvation that, that God has given me. Uh, there, there's um, Some people are taught this, that, that you're not saved anymore. And so you have to re-say the sinner's prayer. You have to come back to salvation. Abram probably has some of those similar thoughts. That, that as he was going through this, uh, and we'll see that through uh, Genesis chapter 13, that he probably in the back of his mind because of what happened in Genesis chapter 12 was asking those same questions. These does these promises that God gave me, are they true anymore? Is God really going to do what he said he was going to do? Because I screwed up greatly. Aren't you glad that we as believers in Jesus Christ, and we'll see this even with Abram, that God is gracious, that God is merciful, that God welcomes us back and is very loving and compassion towards us. Follow along as I, as I read Genesis chapter 13 verses 1 through 18. Then Abram went up from Egypt, and he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him to the south, or to the Negev. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journey with from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar where he had made there at first. And there Abram called to the, at the name of the Lord. Verse 5, Lot also who went with Abram had flocks and herds and tents. Now the Lord was not, a, now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock and the Canaanites and the Pezzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, and that it was well watered everywhere. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Verse 12, Ab Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, 
westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, and for I give to you. Then Abram moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. Again, Abraham probably as he was going back to the land of Egypt, back to the land of Canaan because of what happened in Genesis chapter 12, had those thoughts of, God, do you even care about me anymore? These promises, are they even true? We see in uh, verse some important details in verses 1 through 4 that kind of set the scene of this chapter. And really, as we saw back in chapter, end of chapter 11 and chapter 12, these, these details are important. There's a reason why Moses is, is writing these important details down to kind of help us understand what's happening and help us understand the, what's going on here. And so, as we read in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says this, that Abram went up from Egypt. That's where he was at the end of chapter 12. He was there in Egypt. He, he lied about uh, Sarai being uh, his, his uh, wife. He just said that was, she's my sister. And it, it technically wasn't a full lie, but it was not a full truth either. It's kind of like those partial white lies. And the Pharaoh literally kicks him out and says, get out of here. Take your possessions, take your wife, and leave. And so verse 1 kind of says, explains to us what happened. They leave Egypt. They head towards the, uh, the south, which is the Negev. And we see in verse 2 that Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And if you're following along in your outline, there's your first point. Abram was a very wealthy man. Back then, and you see this specifically with, uh, with the, in the book of Job, you know, they did not count so much how much money they had in the bank, how much silver or gold that they had, but they counted how many sheep they had, how many camels that they had. If you wanted to see how wealthy a person was, you looked at how much cattle, how much livestock they had. And Abram had both. He was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And so as he leaves Egypt and he takes everything that he had, all his possessions, he then heads first to the Negev or in the south, and then he returns to, if we want to say, where he was at the very beginning. Verse 3. He, when he went on his journey from the south, he went as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. So Abram returns to Bethel, and he there he calls on the name of the Lord. Now for some of us, uh, many of us, you know, these, these names, you're thinking, hey, that's wonderful. Abram went to Egypt. We kind of know where that's at. We know where it's kind of these other places are kind of at. And uh, to help us, because uh, I am a map person, as I said many times, I have a nice little map to kind of explain kind of what's happening in Abram's movement. And this is important. The reason why I take these times to show you on the map where what's happening, because this is it all goes into these promises that God gave to Abram and his descendants. 
And so you see Egypt there in the Nile River. And so he first goes south. And that's where the Negev is at. It's also interesting is that is also the kind of the general route that hundreds of years later, another important event will take place. And that is the route of the the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Uh, so Abram moves south and then goes north and there's Bethel right there. And so he does that. He leaves Egypt. He goes south and he goes back up to Bethel where he came from. But there becomes a problem. And this is where we get into some more of the, the meat or heart of this passage is this problem that happened between Abram and his nephew Lot. Abram, the scriptures tells us uh, in, in uh, verse 2 there, he was very rich. He was very rich in livestock. He was very rich in gold. He was very rich in silver. Lot, his nephew, was also a very rich man. And the problem becomes this. You're following along in, uh, in verse, verse 5. Lot also, when he went with Abram, he had flocks and herds and tents. So you have these two wealthy men trying to live off the land, if you want to say, they're in Bethel. And they can't. Verse 6. The land was not able to support them. This was a very... Uh, uh, Lack of, of rain area in, in the, in the land of Canaan. We kind of experienced that this, uh, this uh, summer in Pennsylvania where, you know, sometimes when you don't, we don't get a lot of rain, it, it, it's okay because we have a, a kind of water close to the surface and a, a high water table. In the land of Canaan, when they don't have, uh, water, they, it, it, uh, it makes, it causes great, it causes a great famine. And the, and the, they have to move their livestock from place to place to place to place. And what's happening here is all of a sudden, Abram's herdsmen were moving from place to place to place to place, and lots of herdsmen were moving from place to place to place to place, and they were fighting over the places where they were going. Because they were like, listen, you're taking all the good pastures, and, and so forth. Our sheep, our livestock need that too. And they're like, listen, we can't do that. We both can't live here anymore. The land cannot support us. They cannot support us that they may dwell together. For the possessions were great and they could not dwell together. And that's the problem. The land cannot support both Abram's and Lot's livestock. If they weren't farmers, if they didn't have livestock, it would be okay. But because of their livestock needing the pastures and the grass and the, and the food to eat, they realize this problem. They cannot support. The land cannot support both of them. So Abram comes up with a good solution here. Look at verse, um, verse, next verse, verse 8. So Abram says this, Please let there be no strife between you and I, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. In fact, 
Lot is Abram's nephew, and you can uh, turn back to Genesis chapter 11, and you can uh, see that. And so he's saying, listen, we're family. Family should not be fighting over who gets this field and who gets that field. Let's come to this decision that, that we need to separate. And we need to go, if you go one way, I'll go the other way. The solution that Abram proposes is this. That we need to separate. The problem, the land cannot support both Abram's and Lot's livestock. So the solution is that we need to separate. Jump down to verse 9. You go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. It's interesting is this. Abram is having Lot choose. Abram says, listen, which way do you want to go? I'll go the opposite direction. Usually when we read this passage of Scripture, we kind of scratch our heads sometimes because of what happens next. And we think to ourselves, man, Lot gets a good deal here. Abram gets kind of left out because of the choices that is made. But as we go through this choice and as we understand what's happening and, and, and what's going on here, we'll actually begin to realize that it may seem like Abram gets the bum deal here, but in reality, he chooses wisely. Verse, uh, verse 10. Lot lifted his eyes. And right there in Bethel and I, if we, if we, if I could transport us over there, you would be able to kind of go up on the hillside and you would be able to kind of look out and see the, the entire, uh, the land, uh, there and see that, that the plain of Jordan, the plain of Jordan is referring to where the Jordan River is at. And the plain of Jordan is is the place where it is very fertile ground. And so if you had a lot of livestock, that's the place where you wanted to be. The fertile ground. The where the grass can grow. In fact, as as the description here says this, the plain of Jordan was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord. Referring back to the garden of the Lord is what garden? In Genesis chapter 1. Into the Garden of Eden. It didn't take much for that area of Canaan to grow crops. Because year after year, the Jordan River would flood and the sediments and the, and the nutrients were spread out across the ground, just like the Nile River did in Egypt. And so imagine this. Lot and Abraham are up on top of this hill looking at the land, and Abraham says, listen, we can't live like this anymore. You either take your possessions and you go this way and I'll go this way, or you go this way and I'll go this way. But it's your choice. Which way do you want to go? Lot looks at the land that he sees. And put yourself in this situation. What land would you choose? A very green land 
that has lots of food, lots of grass, or a very harsh land that you had to move your livestock constantly from place to place to place. What land would you choose? We would choose, wouldn't we choose the one that Lot chose? He's like, man, I'm going that direction. I'm going to where the land is plentiful. I'm going to where, where it's green. I'm going to where my livestock can thrive. Of course I'm going to the plain of Jordan. Why wouldn't I? Verse 11. Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. It seems that Lot picked the better land for his livestock. It seems on paper here. If we were to stop right here, we would think, man, Lot is going to become very, very wealthy. Livestock's going to thrive. I mean, it just is a no-brainer. Abram is going to have a very, very difficult, a very arid land, a very a moving from place to place to place to place, trying to find the food that he his livestock needs. On paper, it seems that Lot picked the better land for his livestock. But the question we have to ask ourselves is this. Was it really the better land? It seems like it. But then you get down to verse 13, and what does the what does the author tell us about this land? The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So yes, from the livestock point of view, Lot picked a better land. But spiritually speaking, it wasn't. Because of the wickedness, the sinfulness that now Lot was moving into. And we'll see over these next several chapters in Genesis, we'll see that, that, that Lot I mean, this, the, the land, this choice that he made to move into a sinful, wicked area influences him and it cost him his wife and it cost him almost his life. It cost him almost his family because of the wickedness and the sinfulness of not just Sodom, but also the sister city of Gomorrah as well. And this is the same for our lives. Sometimes, you know, when we look at two choices, sometimes things may look good. Sometimes we, we have, we think, man, that looks good on the outside. But spiritually speaking, it may be the wrong choice. Spiritually speaking, it may be that, that because if we choose to do this or because we choose to go in that direction, that it actually takes us away from our relationship with God. It actually may hurt our relationship with God. It may actually influence us to walk away from our relationship with God. Sometimes things may look good. But spiritually speaking, when it comes to our relationship with God, they may be wrong or hurtful. 
there's many examples of you know, people who have chosen to to go and and uh, chosen to uh, to put themselves. Uh, and you think of uh, the college students and and sometimes Christian college students who who they they grow up in the church and then they go to college and what happens in college so many times they walk away. Why? Because of the influence that college had on their lives. Sometimes that choice may look good, but spiritually speaking, it may take us away from our relationship with God. There's examples of uh, people who in their jobs have 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 been given promotions. I, I know a guy who in he lives in Altoona. Uh, he is a, a pastor in Altoona, and he and he one of his jobs uh, that because of he's part time pastor is he drives one of the buses in Altoona. He is such a good worker there in Altoona that the bus company came to him and said, "Listen, we want to promote you. We want to give you a, a a promotion and have you get come out of the bus as a driver and give you a desk job where you're kind of over supervising all the buses." And, and after much prayer and consideration, it would become a, a huge pay increase. He decided not to do that. On paper, we think, why in the world did he not choose that promotion? And after talking to him, he says this. Because I have conversations with people on the bus. And I can point people in those conversations to God. Whereas if I was just stuck in my office all day, I wouldn't be able to do it. There's been people, many examples of people who, again, jobs come to them and, and, and for these promotions and they turn them down. Why? Because it would affect their time that they would have to be able to serve God in their community and serve God in their church. And again, sometimes things may look good. Sometimes we may think in ourselves, hey, that's what I want. That position that I've always wanted. But spiritually, it tears us away from our relationship with God. And that's exactly what happens here with Lot. He sees the two choices. He sees, he's looking out over the land and thinking, man, that land is desirable for my livestock. I don't have to worry about water. I don't have to worry about food. I can just camp out there all day and all night and my livestock can be taken care of. But he moves his family. He moves his entire household into a very wicked, sinful area. And a few chapters later, we see he barely escapes God's judgment. Abram, on the other hand, again, Abram probably was thinking in the back of his mind, man, I blew it. I just, I, I just came from Egypt. I just lied and, 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 and God had to intervene and, and, and Pharaoh's not very happy with me right now and kicks me out. I'm back here in this land. Uh, there's no way God truly loves me anymore. These promises that God gave me back at the beginning of chapter 12, they're, they're probably not valid anymore. They're, they're, God, God probably has just like, listen, you can't even, you can't even trust me for one moment. So, there you go. 
But after Lot leaves, God comes to Abram in verse 14. In verse 14, it says this, that the Lord says to Abram, the Lord speaks to Abram. And really, as the Lord speaks to Abram, He speaks these two promises again. I'm going to give you this land and I'm going to make your descendants numerous. Verse 14, The Lord says to Abram, after Lot has separated from him, lift up your eyes now and look from the place where you are. The northward, southward, eastward, and westward. And again, they're kind of up on top of the hill looking out over the land. Lot leaves and says, hey, hey guys, we're moving. And, and Abram's probably looking out of the land thinking, man, I, I, I'm in trouble. And God says, listen, look north, look south, look east, and look west. This land is yours. In fact, God reiterates His promises to God. And this is so important for us to understand. That these promises that God gave to Abram, they're not dependent upon Abram's. They're not dependent upon Abram. But they're dependent upon God. They're not dependent upon Abram, but God. In other words, God comes and says, listen, I know you blew, I know you blew it before. I know you screwed up. But these promises that I gave you back at the beginning of chapter 12 are still the same promises. And as we read these, listen to how many times the Lord says, I, I will do this. I will do this. Not you. I will give you this land. I will make your descendants numerous. I, they're dependent upon God, not Abram. Verse 15. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants. And there's the first one. I, God's going, is making this promise. I will give this to your descendants. And then there's a key word. Forever. God will give land to Abram's descendants. God will give this land to Abram's descendants. And then God continues in verse 16. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could count the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Now I don't know how much uh, dust uh, is on the entire earth. Um, certain places in our house uh, are, are not knocking Margarita or herself or our cleanliness, but there are certain places that you know, be underneath the beds and so forth that, that you have to kind of pull out to get to it. And it is amazing how much dust gets there behind there. You pull it out and you're like, turning in the head, man, how, what's the last time we moved this piece of furniture? And, and, and so forth. 
And God is saying this. I know all your houses, unless you are a Martha Stewart type person where everything is clean and white glove. Uh, ask Marguerite about her when she was in college. She literally had an RA that would do a white glove test in her room. Uh, boys were not quite as strict uh, with that. But the, the dust on the earth. And God is saying, listen, these two promises that I gave you back in Genesis chapter 12 are still the same. I'm going to give you this land still. Nothing's, nothing's changed. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the, the dust on the earth. Later on, the sand. No one's going to be able to number. Just as God said back in Genesis chapter 12. And really God is saying to Abram, listen, I know you screwed up. I know that you had a moment in your life where you, you, you didn't trust me. And you did what you did, and, and, and I intervened, and, and, and so forth. I saved you. But these two promises are still in play. I'm going to give you this land. And I'm going to make your descendants numerous. Look at how Abram responds. Well, verse 17, Arise, walk in the land, through its length and its width, for, our, for again, I give it to you. And then verse 18, Abram moved his tent and went and dwelled by the Terebith trees of Mamre and are in Hebron. And what does he do? He builds an altar there to the Lord. He worships God. He praises God. This isn't the first time he's done that. In fact, there has been three specific times up to this point in time that we're, we're the, just early in the story of Abram where, where he builds an altar in response to what, how God worked in his life. Full of praise. Full of gratitude. And I think this time even more so because he's like, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your continued blessing and your mercy and compassion towards me. Thank you for who you are. The same is true in our lives. Man, sometimes, as I said earlier, sometimes we have this mentality that, that if, if I sin or if I disobey God, that God's about ready to smack us over our head. That there's no, there's no room for us in God's kingdom anymore. That there's no way God can use us anymore because of what we've done in our past. And the life of Abram, up to this point in time, God is telling us the same thing. Yes, I still love you. That gift of salvation, the promises I give you, you're still mine. Come back to me. Experience my love and my forgiveness. God loves us. I know I say this a lot, but it is... It is when you think about this of God's love, you realize and you recognize God loves us more than we can ever imagine. And God is that loving Father that when His children disobey, that when His children recognize and realize that they have disobeyed and they come back to Him, God is not standing there thinking, where have you been? 
How dare you do what you did? But instead, God has his arms open and says, Welcome, home. I love you. And I think when Abram recognizes that, that these promises are still in prayer, at the very end of verse 18, he builds an altar because he understood that God is a merciful, compassionate God that loves him more than he can ever imagine. Abram experienced God's grace and God's mercy. Are you like Abram? Maybe there's a sin. Maybe there's a choice that you made and you're scratching your head and thinking, does God really care about me anymore? Or maybe you think, oh, i got to do X, Y, and Z to earn God's salvation or to come back into God's favor. And Abram again, God says, no. These promises I give you are not dependent upon you. That gift of salvation is not dependent upon anything that you do. It is God's gift, a free gift. And He says, will you receive that? God's promises are true. The gift of salvation is true. It is not dependent upon our obedience. Just as these promises were not dependent upon Abram's obedience. Do you need experience? Do you need to come back? Do you need to confess? Do you need to experience God's mercy and compassion the way Abram experienced that? Where God says, you're forgiven. And you're mine. You're my child. Let's pray.